So my six-month checkup, totally fine, no change in that thickened area. Nine-month checkup, no change in that thickened area. This is where things go sideways. So I kind of got a little cocky. I reintroduced a lot of animal products. And when I went back in, in that four-month period where I had been off the wagon, it had doubled in size. My breast surgeon was also pretty worried. She wouldn't say it in those terms, but she wasn't messing around. Within a week, I was, you know, on her surgical table getting the lump removed. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. And this is the special Your Body Imbalance series, where we're taking a deep dive into the new science of food, hormones, and health. And this is episode eight. Hard to believe that we've already done so many of these. Episode eight. And today we're going to be talking about breast cancer and the role that diet plays there, how it affects the hormones that are related to the disease, and how food can either work almost as a shield that protects you from it, or on the other end of the spectrum, leave you without much of a defense at all. It really all depends on what the foods are. And so to explain everything about that, I will be welcoming Dr. Neil Barnard back to the show. He's the author of the book, Your Body in Balance, and there is a lot to cover, a whole lot to discuss. But before we get there, we're going to start with dietitian Lee Crosby. And if you've been listening to the exam room for any length of time, you've probably heard her on the show. She's sharp as a tack when it comes to nutrition, truly one of the hardest working and most knowledgeable people that I know. Lee is 110% dedicated to her job. And that's because it's not just a job for her. It's personal. This one hits close to home. So she will be here today to share her own journey, a breast cancer scare that truly opened her eyes to just how powerful of a role food can play. And I used the shield analogy a minute ago with Lee in mind, because as you will hear, it was when she let her guard down that her fortunes changed, and they changed quite rapidly. Rolling right along here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, continuing the special series, Your Body in Balance, featuring the science behind Dr. Barnard's new book, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. Featured prominently is a very good, dear personal friend of mine, a friend of the show for sure, and one of the most fascinating people you will ever hear in your entire life. You just keep on talking, Chuck Carroll. I mean, I can't keep going, Lee. I honestly <laughs> this could. This is great. I honestly could. Uh, she is a registered dietitian. She has fantastic hair. She should have her own show. <laughs> this is great. Yada, yada, yada. Well, anyway, uh, Lee Crosby, welcome back to the exam room. <laughs> Delighted to be here, Chuck. I bet you are after that introduction. Uh, really, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, 
congratulations. But yeah, but seriously. <laughs> uh, let's talk. Why not? Uh, you are featured in this book because you, in all seriousness, have just a really tremendous story that I think so many, like millions of women, can really identify with. Yeah, I wish I didn't have the story, but, you know, if, if I do, I'm glad that it can hopefully help some people not have this story. Yeah, right? Yeah. You know, so uh, let's let's kind of talk about this. You You had in layman's terms, a breast cancer scare. It was a scare. It didn't actually, well, I don't want to be a spoiler. Do you want me to just no, start no, 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 begin no, no, no. at the beginning? No. Or? Well, yeah, well, I mean, we're going to dip into childhoodly and then, oh, you know, wow. the we're diet. Going way and back then, in yeah, time. Okay. Yeah, and then, and then we'll get to present day Lee. All right. How, how, how you went from first grade Lee to fiber queen. Wow. <laughs> this is going to be a long story. It segment. is going to be a long story. All right. Yeah. So I will say that I had a shot across the bow when it came to breast health. It was not cancer, but it was sort of right up knocking against what would be cancer. Right. So where do you, where would you like me to begin? I mean, so let's let's start with this. Growing up, was breast cancer anything that ran in your family? Was it anything that was in your mind at all? No. Well, so fibrocystic breast disease or benign breast disease was in the family. Okay. So breast pain, which, gosh, for me started high school, early college, like that was just that was just normal in my family and normal for me. Um, so that I just had always had. I, you know, I, there were some things younger years that were not optimal. I didn't have, I had a pretty good diet as a standard American diet goes. Like I ate my fruits and vegetables, but also we ate an awful lot of red meat. My grandpa raised beef cattle as a hobby on the side. You're so, in Kentucky, right? Well, my family's from Kentucky. I actually grew up here in Northern Virginia, ah. but both sides of my family are from Kentucky. So yeah. So we had a lot of red meat growing up. I did a lot of pizza, like I think everyone else did. Sure. And, you know, I, I did some sports in high school and that kind of thing. And then college rolled around, and that was kind of, <laughs> I don't know how much I want we don't to need all of the stories here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's just say that I worked hard and played hard also, but I worked really hard. Don't forget that part. Standard American diet, standard American college student. Yeah, it was standard American fun on the weekends. Amen. Um, so that whole, you know, that whole alcohol piece was probably not optimal either. Mm. Um, and then yeah, I just had a normal sort of mid to late 20-somethings. And again, honestly, I felt like my diet was probably a little better than most people's. I was always very conscious about getting fruits and vegetables and trying to – you know, work in some whole grains, but still cheese and other dairy and meat. That was just, you know, bacon. All those things were just right. par for the course. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you say like maybe a little bit better than the standard American oh, yeah. diet, but were oh, there yeah, still trips sure. to the drive through <clears throat> and things like that? Not well. I say not a ton, but as I'm looking back, I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I would be taking classes. So after class, I would hit the Wendy's and get a, you know, bacon cheeseburger. So yeah, there were some, there were some less than optimal choices. It happens. It, it does. But, again. you know, I, I think not just in your case, but I would say virtually every woman out there is a college student. You know, they're they're not thinking about. Oh, and dining hall Any food. of that. Like, I mean, come, come on. on. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. you, you guys have way other, way more other things to be concerned about. Oh, yeah. And this. I mean, it's not going to be, you know, front and center. Like, yeah, I had a little fun, but also my grades were speaking of front and center like i was very conscious of that a shocker i was a biology major there's a lot of science going on moving on go. brag girl brag. the nerd flag just flaps did in you, the wind did you graduate cum laude <laughs> uh we didn't have that but my gpa was can i brag on myself here my gpa was pretty good we'll four, just leave it at that four something did well no we fours? couldn't get over a four it was in the three nine range three nine good deals yeah i'm proud of you a lot 
Yeah. Oh my gosh! Why am I saying this That's on a podcast? Valedictorian Moving stuff. Moving on. No. Moving on. But yeah. okay. But, I took it serious. Well, okay. So here, here's the point that I'm trying to make. You are clearly an intelligent person. No joke. Like you, you've worked very hard. <laughs> And you were studying a difficult major, yes. okay? Oh, yeah. And no, there was... And you still were able to pull that off with a very high GPA. Yes. This still was... Breast health was still not front and center well, in your mind. I didn't know what I could do. There I wasn't go. told. I mean, I went to a, you know, an OBGYN my senior year, and her answer was, you know, maybe you take some uh, vitamin E and just deal with it. Like, good luck. Hmm. And that was and that was sort of pretty standard advice at the time. Like this is going to probably get worse, so you'll have to sort of keep an eye on it. But it's just fibro just fibrocystic breast disease, which for any women out there who have it, know that it's it can be disconcerting because it's painful. You're it always sort of you never get a break from worrying if you're a worrying sort. Okay. So well, uh, for the guys that are listening, what's the difference between that and full blown breast cancer? So fibrocystic breast disease is benign. So it's it's not necessarily anything to worry about, but it causes cysts and cystic material and pain. I mean, the biggest problem is that you end up with pain. It's typically cyclic. Um, in my case, it wasn't. It was kind of all the time, and it would get worse at certain points in my cycle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's really uncomfortable. I mean, giving someone a hug is not. It hurts. Wow. So it's it's for real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you said cyclical. Like, does that it, like comes and goes with your with your menstrual your, cycle? Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and what is is that? What brought you to the doctor in the first place? It is. So I was actually I was the ripe old age of thirty. I was having so much pain in my left breast that I was getting concerned. So I went to I was seeing a family doctor at the time, and she's fantastic. She, you know, she did a breast exam, didn't see anything or feel anything amiss, but said, you know what. If it's bothering you this much, we'll go ahead and do <clears throat> a mammogram and make sure there's nothing shady going on. Mm -hmm. So I got the mammogram, and the results came back with some calcifications, which – and there are different – turns out all the things you get to learn. There are patterns that are very suggestive of cancer and patterns that aren't so much. And mine were in the not so much, but there was about a 1 in 20 chance that they were indicative of cancer. Mm -hmm. So I was – told I could either sort of watch and wait for six months or I, I think it was six months or I could yeah, I wanted a biopsy at that point right honestly I tend a little bit towards anxiety and I didn't like the idea of leaving something in there right um, I don't necessarily think that would be recommended but that was what I really wanted well that's a, that's the thing I think that so one in 20 that's five percent yeah I would think that a 5% chance of breast cancer, that's enough to put, you know, the fear of God in you a little bit. Well, especially me, I think more than maybe some other people who don't tend towards worrying quite the same right. way. <clears throat> so, I, yeah, it wasn't I, – I think it was not protocol to do it, but I wanted them to go ahead and do it. So I did. And actually those results came back benign. Okay. Those were fine. So that must have been a relief. Yeah. So there was a little – there was some hyperplasia and a couple things that indicated I might be at a little higher risk down the road. Mm -hmm. um, but – yeah, I was pretty happy with it. But that said, since it was a little more – things are getting complicated and I just – I wanted – so I went ahead and saw a breast surgeon mm -hmm. just for a follow-up appointment early. This was all going down in October, early the next year. And that was when she did a you know really thorough clinical exam and she found a thickened area, as she termed it, in my other breast, mm -hmm. which had not been identified before. So she actually wanted me to get that one biopsied then and i had just gone through this other biopsy and it was 
it was a stereotactic biopsy, which is a little more intense than a standard one. Um, I just really didn't want any other cutting or needles for a while. So she agreed to watch and wait every three months for a year. And if there was no change in that thickened area on the other side, on the right breast, after a year, she was going to say, hey, it's okay. We'll just go back to a regular every year check kind of schedule. What made that other biopsy a little bit more intense or invasive? So a stereotactic biopsy is actually x-ray guided. So I I don't want to, if you need one, get it. But it's just, it's a little, I mean, how do I put this? I don't want to discourage women from getting one who need one, but it's a, it can be a fairly uncomfortable experience. Okay. So we'll just leave it at that. I gotcha. (laughs) I gotcha. Okay. So you go through this and at this point, you're having all this pain, food still is not registering with you? Well, so here's the thing. Yeah, actually, it very much did ah, register with me. Okay, so after that, first, after that first biopsy that suggested, oh, you know, it's benign, but with the calcifications, you might have some increased risk. I'm like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and start researching what can be done, if anything. So I started picking up some, you know, information on breast health. I wasn't finding a lot. It was actually my mother who wanted me to read a book called The China Study, which I had actually heard of and was like, oh, mom, like, that's junk science. <laughs> like, sorry, but, you know, I hadn't read it. That is that is what I'd heard about it. And she's like, well, I'd really like you to look into this plant-based nutrition thing just for me, just because I've heard about it. it. Totally appealed to my ego. And was like, I want your scientific opinion on it. Oh, well done, Connie. Oh, well played, mom. So, <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, I I read the book and I was very skeptical. It was talking about all kinds of, you know, plant-based nutrition and how animal protein can be problematic when it comes to cancer risk. And so I actually, and I read some other books too. I actually read Dr. Barnard. He had a book out called Foods That Fight Pain Mm. that talks about breast pain. So I read that, another book called Eat to Live. And then as I was reading, I started wondering, like, is this real science. Again, I'm very skeptical by nature. So I actually got a library card to the National Library of Medicine, which you too can get free with your tax dollars <laughs> at the National Institutes of Health because it was in my sort of, you know, metro area, and I went and pulled the studies just to make sure that the conclusions that people were reaching, you know, in a book hadn't just been somehow misconstrued and no, the the science was really compelling. So I started sort of shifting my diet over to this very, you know, whole food plant-based approach. Um, and then when I got that news that, hey, I've got this thickened area happening in my breast and we're going to follow it for a year, I got real intense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So cut the added oils, you know, I was focusing on plant, you know, whole plant foods. Like I was, I was, I was doing it. Was that a difficult transition for you? I mean, I know that you were motivated here I was for health motivated. and fear reasons, but <laughs> fear I, I mean, a great well, motivator. Well, yeah, no kidding. I hate to say that, but, but it's true. But like, I mean, still, was it, was that transition hard? Yes. And some people do great. They do it overnight. I actually took a little longer. I'm one of those kind of ease in. I don't really want to. I'm like, I don't want to believe it. You know, denial. It's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> um, but I went ahead. And so, yeah, I, it wasn't actually as hard as I thought. I'll cool. be honest. I just was. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's just how I did it. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it was fine. Because, okay. again, I, I like healthy food. I just hadn't really sort of committed to like, okay, we're going to do this. So here's the thing. So I did that. I was really on a you know solid sort of plant-based thing. And sure. I went back for my three-month checkup. No change. Yay. Had you told the doctors <clears throat> what you were doing? Um, I'd made some mention of it. And her answer was, you know, fantastic. Do whatever you, you know, think is the right thing to do in terms of risk reduction. And great. 
So, and then I went back after another three months. So my six-month checkup, totally fine, no change in that thickened area. Nine-month checkup, no change in that thickened area. This is where things go sideways. So I kind of got a little cocky, and I fell off the wagon. And there were some other things contributing to that. So there are two things. I fell off the wagon. I reintroduced a lot of animal products. It was a higher, definitely a lot more fat in the diet, a little bit more sugar, but mostly it was bringing back meat and animal products. And I also was exercising less because I had a foot injury. Ah. So together. But I still felt fine because I nine months of no change at all. Like I'm in the clear, right? So, but wh- why? Why did you go back to that? Was this a stressful time in your life? It was a stressful time. I had been prescribed some Cipro that honestly I probably shouldn't have been the prescribed. Antibiotic? Yes, and shouldn't have taken. And it really messed with my gut flora. And I was sort of like, well, maybe I'll try this. Like I got violently ill. I had to stop the course early. Ooh. Yeah, it's not unless you need it please don't take it. Um, So I was sort of trying something like maybe this will work. And I was kind of grasping at straws. And so that was sort of the impetus behind why I made that change. Well, and again, I was just, I thought it was fine. It's not changing. It's cool. So I actually didn't even go back after three months. It was four months. So I was actually at 13 months instead of 12 months, again, thinking it would be fine. And when I went back in, in that four month period where I had been off the wagon, it had doubled in size. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So you go in there and you think everything's going to be status quo. Mm -hmm. Everything's going to be copacetic. That's what I was expecting. You get the results. How was that? Was that just like a kick in the gut? Did your heart stop? What happened? I mean, my heart started about a thousand miles an hour. Okay. Again, I'm not, I'm a little on the, you know, I startle easily. Let's just put it that way. A toaster goes off. I hit the ceiling kind of thing. (laughs) So I was really worried and, you know, my breast surgeon was also pretty worried. She wouldn't say it in those terms, but she wasn't messing around. Within a week, I was, you know, on her surgical table getting the lump removed. And the pathology report came back, and I was lucky and yet enlightened. So mm. it came back flat epithelial atypia. Now, Write that down for us. <laughs> I know what exactly that means. Even I'm not sure. It's not that common. But the atypia is a word you don't want to hear in your early 30s relative to your breast tissue. Right. Because what it says is that, wow, the your cells are changing in a way that is sort of on their way to cancer. Mm. So you definitely have increased risk down the road if you have this kind of lesion, I think is what they call it, or these kinds of changes, particularly this early in life. So I got right back on the wagon and back to my whole plant foods and knock on wood because <clears throat> there's no magic bullet. But knock on wood, it's been now eight years since that happened. And so far, reports are clear. Did you know pretty much right away or at least that was your assumption right away that it was because you had changed up your diet that this thing had grown so massively? It was just – I mean and I wasn't working out as much together. I think that was not a great – combo at all. And I will say I also got rid of the alcohol. I wasn't drinking that much prior to all of this, but I got rid of the alcohol as soon as I'd had that first biopsy. So, so there, there was, was no that. drinking at all during this time. There was no drinking at all. So the alcohol piece was out. There was the diet change was profound. Okay. Again, because I was trying this like thing to, to try and fix this other piece and not successful and a big fail in terms of breast health. But yeah, so it was very I literally started the new diet like a few days after my nine month checkup. Yeah. So it was very, you know, clear in time that and it wasn't like I stopped exercising the same day. That had been sort of gradual. So really the the primary driver that I can identify was that diet change. Gotcha. 
because most of the other variables were fairly static, <clears throat> although I was working out some right. less. Yeah, scary stuff. All right, so you y- you figure in that it's the the diet is probably having something to do with it here. You have this emotion, I'm sure, like just this wave of fear that has washed over you. Oh, yeah. Um, Were you confident that the diet then could get you back on the right track? Like like this was going to be the answer to what ailed you in addition to having the lump removed? I mean, all you can do – and this is the thing about – cancer in general is that you don't get to have full control. You can do everything right and still end up with a diagnosis, but you still do the best you can. And I liken it to getting in the car. Like, even if you put on your seatbelt, you can still get in a fatal car crash. But you're a lot less likely to ha- to not make it through a car crash if you have your seatbelt on. Sure. If you don't wear a seatbelt, your odds aren't nearly as good. So sure. I basically am looking at this as putting on my seatbelt recognizing and I just want to make that perfectly clear that no one's to blame for cancer like you can do everything right and get a diagnosis and you know eat unhealthfully and not get one so it's not like it's a fair thing but I do want women to know that they can put on their seatbelt and I look at eating this way as putting on my seatbelt right yeah you're giving yourself the best chance exactly like let's change the odds right we can't there are no guarantees but I'm all about changing the odds right and and you know I just think back to other interviews that I've had and, and, and Dr. Christy Funk in that extraordinary series that we did last <laughs> October about breast health. Right. And, you know, it is her wholehearted belief that so many of these deaths and these tragedies, young women, mothers, grandmothers, sisters, daughters, like they're dying unnecessarily. And the suffering along with it. Absolutely. I mean, chemo is not a cakewalk. Right. Yeah. But not just for the patient, but oh, for, for the, the family. family. Like yeah. it, it, it's just not easy for anyone yeah, babies all. growing up without their mamas. Right. Yeah, you know, right. or, you know, losing your, your loved one too soon. Yeah. Right. Oh, boy. Right. I just... and, and being there with your loved one as they're going through that, obviously, you're going to want to do that as the support system. I mean, that's love, right? Right. Oh, yeah. But it's not easy. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and like, that's that's just heart-wrenching. And so you, you think about that. And it's it's not like heart disease, which can take a person out so quickly and suddenly out of nowhere. I mean, right. this is a, a long, drawn-out process. It, it is. And again, even when people make it through, there's still a very, really challenging period when they're in treatment. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anyone would argue that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... Anything we can do to prevent that level of suffering and distress, like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I shouldn't use the word prevent because we can't say, yeah, you do this and you won't get cancer. But we can we can look at the data and say, hey, we can take these steps and reduce our risk. Right on. And, and as, uh, as the nutritionist upstairs, the dietitian at the Barnard Medical Center, I would assume that you have conversations about this with some of your patients. Oh, I absolutely do. Anyone who comes in with a history, some people will come in – having gone through treatment and want to reduce their risk, but more often it's someone who's coming in for something else and they have a history of breast cancer or the ductal carcinoma in situ, which is sort of stage zero Mm -hmm. cancer. And you better believe that in coming into the conversation are all the breast health steps, clearly a whole food plant-based diet, relatively low in fat, but also exercise, alcohol minimization or avoidance, better yet. So these kinds of things are, and, and I mentioned exercise. Yes. Yeah. It's important. All critical. It is. Well, yeah. yeah. So four-pronged four-pronged approach, right? right? So you think back to what it was that we were talking about all last October. You right. know, it's a plant-based diet. Yep. 
uh, exercise. Absolutely. No alcohol. Yep. And maintain a healthy weight. Yeah, which sort of typically follows from doing those first three things. Right. Yeah. All kind of falls into place. Absolutely. And I will advocate until the day that I die that a plant-based diet is the best way to keep weight off. Well, yeah, I mean, you would be the one to know. Yeah, well, I think that you you are a great inspiration for so many women. And, you know, I, I would consider it an honor to be in this book. And I hope that you do as well, because there I are do. some really extraordinary stories in here. There are. And can I add a fun side note? By this is means. not nearly as serious as reducing cancer risk. But um, making that switch to plant-based nutrition, I dropped about 10 pounds. And I wasn't trying. That wasn't my goal. Oh, yeah. It's just It just happens. Oh, yeah. And then also, can I brag on my husband do who it, do it. was, again, he was 31 at the time when this was all going down. And he was already at, he had like, well, now it would be called stage one, I think hypertension. But he had the sort of pre-hypertension mm-hmm. back at that point in time. His blood pressure normalized. He lost like 30 pounds or so just doing this yeah. with me first just at home and then realizing like, oh, this isn't so hard. And he just went. You yeah. know, and did it with me. Yeah. So that's like a nice bonus. And then finally, I'm going to brag on my mom who's lost about 100 pounds I eating this way. Again, it took her three years to do it. But it really – and I will say this is another piece, getting your family on board if you can or at least one other person to support you, super helpful. And, I, you know, here's the thing though also about breast cancer. For such a horrific disease, there is such – an awesome community there of is. support there is. with this. Yeah. And I think that, you know, knowledge and, and support are just critical, critical components of survival, uh, prevention, oh, all yeah. of the above. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I thought that this was a reality I was going to have to face, there were, I wish I'd known that, you know, Dr. Funk has some of her sort of things that she does with partnering people, but there's a Young Survivors Coalition and all kinds of resources in terms of getting support so that you don't have to face a diagnosis alone and you can, you know, have good information. I do. I will say that the book I recommend to people who have been diagnosed or are know someone who's facing a diagnosis or facing it themselves is Dr. Funk's book. It's just... It's got everything in terms of nutrition and lifestyle, but also medical treatment and making decisions in that regard. So it's a great one as well. The owner's manual? That yes, she's Express the Owner's Manual. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's the one. That's a fun book. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and she's, I mean, just talk about a woman who's devoted her life to doing something noble and really just kind of, you know, it, she, talking to her is almost comforting, you know? Oh, yeah. This is not something that I would ever have to really worry about per se certainly not as much as a woman I'll by say, any I meant, men do get breast cancer it's much much more rare, much more rare. <laughs> yes uh, however I, I will say that knowing that there have been others uh, in my family who have had this you know i feel comforted knowing that she's put this knowledge forward and is teaching people how to give themselves the best chance as we talked about earlier yeah and in know, a friendly realistic way yeah and actually yeah. that's what i also like about your body in balance. It's just, it's so accessible. Like yeah. You, you hear stories and yeah, there's a lot of science in there. So, you know, yeah. buckle up, but it's in language that is every day. Yeah. It's not in Dr. E's. Yeah. I think that's the technical term. Dr. E's. <laughs> Dr. E's, medical E's. Medical E's. Yeah. Yes. He's a heck of a writer, I'll yeah. tell you that. Yep. Yeah. Dr. Neil Barnard's Your Body and Balance, the New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. Pick that up on Amazon or wherever the finest books are sold. And in that book, you will hear the extraordinary tale of one Lee Crosby. Thank you so very much for joining us, Lee. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. 
Every time I hear Lee tell the story, it never ceases to amaze me just how much the mass grew in such a short period of time. It's just incredible. So let's fill in some gaps here. Let's take a deeper look at what was really going on. A closer examination of hormones and breast cancer. And for that, we're going to be welcoming the author of the book, Your Body in Balance, to the show, Dr. Neil Barnard. Continuing the Your Body and Balance series here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. This week, we're taking a look at breast cancer. We just heard from Lee Crosby sharing her incredible story and that turnaround. And now I want to delve a little bit deeper into that science. And for that, we welcome back the author of Your Body and Balance, Dr. Neil Barnard. Thanks for joining us again. It's great to be with you. Let's start right with the big question, because this is one that I think that every woman out there wonders how big of a role do genes play when it comes to breast cancer? Yeah, it's, it's a great question and a legitimate question. Um, the overall effect of genes is quite small, um, which is to say that the, the majority, the vast majority of cases of breast cancer have very little to do with genes. That said, uh, when women speak with their physicians, um, they'll talk about specific genes um, that, that they may or may not have in their family. There are a few of them that can make breast cancer much more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, you've heard of cases like Angelina Jolie, who, who felt that she was extremely high risk, um, and then they can make appropriate uh, decisions. But in, for the vast majority of women, the effect of genes is rather small. Um, there are cases where breast cancer goes from, you see it in grandma, and then in mother, and then in daughter, and so forth. Um, That could be the effect of genes, um, or it could be the effect of foods, food habits that persist in families, or a combination of those things. Because it's, I think that you mentioned this on a previous show, you don't just pass down genes to the next generation, you pass on recipes and lifestyle habits and things of that nature, correct? Exactly. Um, And you see this, uh, say, in rural Japan, people pass down a taste for rice and miso soup and vegetables, and then people in Fargo, where I grew up, passed down a taste for roast beef and cheeseburgers. So it's it's a very different kind of um, of inheritance, if I can put it that way. Um, but th- th- the point of this is that if we're imagining that because there is a genetic component, that means I have no control, we don't want to think that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge element of control over risk that we want to take into our hand to the extent that we can. And uh, we, we know that... Uh if genes aren't the single biggest factor, would I be safe in assuming that maybe the diet is, in your estimation, the big the big factor here? I think it is. Um, we saw this in Japan uh, in the 1960s, early 70s. There was very little breast cancer in Japan. The diet was based on rice, huge, huge amounts of rice, mm. uh, noodles. And if meat or fish was eaten, it was typically in small amounts as a flavoring for the rice and vegetables. Um, and then, of course, as economics changed and uh, fast food chains came in, then you started seeing dairy products come in in a big way where, where they really were more or less non-existent before. Meat came in in a big way. Uh, portions were increased. And several things happened. Uh, you started to see more diabetes, more weight problems, more cardiovascular disease. But you also started to see a dramatic increase in breast cancer. Uh, those women who did not westernize did not have the increase in breast cancer. Those women who did, did have the increase. And that suggests to us, okay, it's not um, some toxin or some other exposure. It's 
it, it's got to be the food. Uh, but then food is a complicated cocktail of things. You're getting fat and you're getting animal protein and you're getting sugars and all these things in a cocktail. And so researchers have tried to tease out what really matters. But I think you can safely say that a Western dietary pattern is uh, a, a great contributor to cancer risk. And the book, Your Body in Balance, that's all about hormones and nutrition science there. And so I, I believe here, if I'm just kind of connecting the dots here, that the food choices we make can either cause our hormones to kind of stay in balance or they can cause things to run amok. And if things are running amok, that then would increase the risk for breast cancer. Here's the thought. Yeah, exactly. Here's, here's the thought that I want people to take home. Uh, I guess people are used to the idea that, that estrogens, female sex hormones, can cause cancer. Um, and in fact, if you do blood tests and you track how much uh, estrogens are in a woman's blood, and then you look and see who gets postmenopausal breast cancer, which is the common kind, they ju- the two just go hand in hand. Mm. The more estrogen in your blood, the higher your risk of cancer. Uh, that has also given people great concern about using hormone replacement therapy. It very clearly increases the risk of postmenopausal breast cancer. So what's food's effect? Food affects our estrogen levels. And and let me say that again, because I know that's a new idea for many people, but food affects the amount of estrogen that's in your blood. And that's true for women or men. And estrogen can drive breast cancer. That then leads me to the question that often gets asked, and that's about soy. People think that you eat soy and your estrogen levels just spike. They kind of go through the roof. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad that you asked that because this is, a, frankly, a very common misunderstanding. Um, soy has what are called isoflavones in it. They were discovered back, I think, in the 1930s, and they will attach to the estrogen receptor, and that led people to think, ah, that will cause cancers. Uh, Some people call them phytoestrogens. Uh, Phyto means plants, P-H-Y-T-O, phytoestrogens. Um, However, researchers have had plenty of time to study this, and and you'll see the studies described in your body in balance. If you uh, examine the diets that women are consuming, Especially women who may come from, from, from an Asian heritage where some of, them, some of them don't consume soy. Some of them consume a phenomenal amount of, of soy. And by soy, I mean soy milk, uh, tofu, edamame, mm-hmm. miso. Those women who consume the most soy products have the least risk of developing breast cancer. So it's exactly the opposite of what people had speculated. They thought that soy would cause cancer. It does the opposite. It reduces the likelihood that you get cancer. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. And and, uh, even more important, if women have been diagnosed with cancer already, they've had breast cancer, they were treated, they just hope it'll never come back, those women who consume the most soy have the least likelihood of dying of their cancer. Gotcha. So um, in, uh, in your car, you've got a gas pedal. Step on the gas pedal, the car goes. You have a brake right next to it. You step on the brake, the car stops. So you have two kinds of estrogen receptors on your breast cells. Uh, you have, in, and throughout your body, you have alpha receptors, you have beta receptors, um, and it appears that soy attaches preferentially to the beta receptor. Mm. Um, and so think of soy as the brake Okay. cancer. Now, you don't have to have soy products. If you don't like edamame or tofu, fine. You don't, don't have to have it. But it is not a cancer promoter. If anything, it reduces the risk of cancer. And by the way, it reduces the risk of developing breast cancer in women. It reduces the risk of dying of breast cancer. And in men, if the man shares your scrambled tofu, 
it's going to reduce his risk of prostate cancer by about the same amount, by roughly 30%. I know that uh, there are some men, you can call this bro science, if you will, that will say, well, if I eat soy, I'm going to develop what I would call moobs, man boobs. <laughs> Is there any truth to that? Uh, no. <laughs> but I know what you're talking about. Um, if You will see this online, uh, what causes man boobs. And they have the idea that soy... Soy phytoestrogens uh, gave him gave Hank a little bit of breast enhancement. Uh, but, um, but if if you imagine that soy could cause breast enhancement, go to the beach on an August day, and you'll see some heavyset guys who have a little bit of breast development, and they got their shirt off and so forth. So ask a guy, go up to him and ask him how much tofu did you eat this past week? Mm. Edamame, miso, soy yogurt. He's going to say. Like, what are you talking about? I don't eat that stuff. I, I'm a burger guy. I'm a steak guy. The reason he's got man boobs, if I can use that kind of creepy term, oh, yeah. um, the reason that happened is he's eaten foods that have caused weight gain. Hmm. And as he gains weight, body fat creates estrogens. Body, body fat, can, can, it will convert his testosterone into estrogens. The estrogens causes the breast development. You know, I, I'm hearing you say that, and I'm thinking back to when I was still overweight, when I was still 420 pounds. I'm like, no, he's absolutely right. There was zero soy. There was zero <laughs> tofu on that menu. So, But the one thing that there was was an extraordinary amount of fat. And so going back to breast cancer, what role does fat play in promoting breast cancer? Right. Um, we've, we've been talking about estrogens. And estrogens are the big driver of cancer. So fat, for, for reasons that we don't fully understand, uh, dietary fat, fat that you eat, increases the amount of estrogen in your blood. And we know this from studies done years ago. Tufts University researchers locked up a group of women into their research ward. Uh, these are research volunteers. And they said, let's try different diets. Some were low fat, some were high fat. And the high fat diets caused higher levels of estrogen in their blood. The mechanism was never clear, but it, was, but it clearly happened. Mm -hmm. And then they, they also then tested high-fiber diets. And fiber, of course, is plant roughage, vegetables, fruits, beans. Fiber reduces estrogen levels. Um, so, uh, and by the way, we know the mechanism for that. Your liver filters your blood, and it pulls estrogen out of the blood, excess estrogen, sends it into the intestinal tract, and fiber then escorts it out. Ah. If you didn't have fiber in your diet because you ate chicken breast or salmon or an omelet, you know, animals don't have fiber. Right. Uh, if there's no fiber in your intestinal tract, you reabsorb all those estrogens again. Gotcha. So you need fiber to, to do that. So, so in these studies that I mentioned at Tufts, they found that high-fat diets increase estrogen, high-fiber diets decrease it, and um, they're independent. So if I'm having a diet that's got some vegetables and fruits in it, but it's still got that chunk of salmon, right, right. which is very fat, fatty fish, your estrogen level is going to rise. Gotcha. Um, and um, you want to have... You, you want to use both. High-fiber foods, that's plant-based foods, keep the oils low at the same time. Let's talk about animal proteins. This is, uh, this is a big one here that uh, I know that a, a lot of listeners have written in about. They're, they're curious about what role do animal proteins play specifically in the risk of breast cancer? Well, if, when people are referring to proteins, if they mean um, a hunk of sausage or bacon or something like that, um, 
they, these f- foods are strongly related with breast cancer. We have two good meta-analyses. And when I say a meta-analysis, I mean you take all the prior studies on a particular topic, you lump them together, and you try to see what are they telling you as a group. And they're telling us that processed meats in particular uh, increase the risk of, of breast cancer. And, and not just breast cancer. You and I have talked about colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly the same thing. Um, and we don't know exact. well, I was going to say we don't know why. Uh, in a way, we know too well why. There, there are too many reasons for it. One is that uh, when you heat muscle tissue, um, and, and not just bacon and sausage, but even chicken, uh, carcinogens form in it. Uh, red meat in particular has heme iron in it, which also increases cancer risk. They, they, it has a lot of fat. It doesn't have any fiber. So there, there are several different reasons why this would be so. But what it really means is if you needed a reason to take the bacon off your plate, I mean, breast cancer is a really good reason. You mentioned carcinogen, and this just popped into my head. Somebody actually wrote in not that long ago, said, hey, you know, I'm new to this whole plant-based diet thing. I've heard people talk about carcinogens and grilled meat. Are there carcinogens in grilled vegetables? Uh, um, the, the carcinogens that I was referring to are called heterocyclic amines. And if you put some chicken on your grill, and it gets hot, the carcinogens form. But they form out of constituents that are in meat. If you grilled the veggie burger next to it, the HCAs don't, do not form. Gotcha. You know, it, it gets hot, but the HCAs don't form. Gotcha. HCA, much easier to say than what heterocyclic means. There you go. You this said will not it. be on the test. <laughs> but HCAs, uh, I, I got to tell you, years ago, we went to um, the state of California because it is um, unlawful in the state of California to sell a product that causes cancer without any kind of notice. That's why if you're in a hotel or in a bar in California, they have notices up about products sold in this establishment may contribute to cancer risk or whatever. Um, we thought, well, wait a minute. These places, restaurants are selling grilled meat. Yeah. Um, with, they, they know there are carcinogens in, it, uh, in them. So we went into McDonald's and Burger King and Outback and all of the, the places where grilled um, chicken might be served. And we found heterocyclic amines, HCAs, carcinogens, in every establishment and every sample. Um, Mm. Meaning, it's very predictable. You take a hunk of chicken and you grill it, um, the carcinogens form. Oh, that'll give you pause. How about that? I hope so. Yeah, man. Jeez Louise. All right. So we've covered uh, meat, processed meat. Uh, Let's talk about dairy. You know, yes. cheese. You, you've said this so many times. How many times has somebody come up to you and said, well, I could go vegan except <laughs> for my cheese. I yeah. love my cheese. Tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, what role does cheese play here in terms of breast cancer risk? Well, you know, it's true. Cheese is one of these addicting foods, and people are pushed to eat it because it's got some calcium and protein and so forth. But what it's got is a huge amount of fat. It's about 770, 70, 70% fat. And that's mostly saturated fat. It's the, the bad fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- I have to say, w- w- what troubled me more than anything else was a study in women who had already been diagnosed with cancer. they had already had breast cancer. They were already treated. And those who consumed the most high-fat dairy, that's cheese, uh, butter, mm-hmm. um, whole milk, were 49% high, uh, more likely to die of their cancer compared to women who generally avoided these things. Wow. Now, um, for any woman who's had breast cancer in the past, your whole concern is I hope my cancer will never return uh, because if it does, um, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, but the w- w- these are women who had previously been diagnosed with cancer. Their risk of dying was 49% higher if they were in the high 
consumption group of of uh, high fat dairy. And, and by the way, a high consumption was defined as one serving a day. That's oh, I I personally wouldn't consider that high by definition, but. What, okay. what it means is that, that women are at risk. Yeah. Um, I just had a slice of uh, pizza here and there, whatever. Um, that's enough. And what we believe is happening is that it could be the fat, it could be the estrogens. Um, the, uh, the estrogens that come out of a, a cow's body are in the milk, and they're concentrated in the cheese. Wow. Okay. Um, moving along, another question that I found particularly fascinating. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the series that I did with Dr. Christy Funk last October mm-hmm. as part of the Let's Be Breast Cancer campaign. But she and I got to talking about the reasons why a woman's risk of developing breast cancer increases with age. And I was kind of hypothesizing that is this just kind of a cumulative effect of everything that she's been eating over the years finally kind of catching up with her. To tell you the truth, that is the most common explanation for it, and I think there is something to it. Uh, because in the same way as a smoker is not going to get lung cancer with one cigarette or a hundred, um, it's something that accumulates. You have just so many hits on the cell, and sooner or later um, you have a, a cell where the DNA is finally damaged, mm-hmm. and then something else promotes it. With, with cancer, it's, it's a two-stage f- uh, process as well, that estrogen, this sneaky little hormone gets into the cell where it damages the DNA. And then another process has to occur where estrogen stimulate the growth of those cancer cells. Gotcha. That's the process as, as we envision it. That's not something that happens quickly. Now, in some women, unfortunately, it does. Some women will get breast cancer prior to reaching menopause, but the vast majority of cases are, are after menopause, and we think that, that it is uh, accumulated issues. Um, and, and what is accumulated? Uh, very often, weight gets higher. Um, as a woman reaches 40, 50, 60, uh, body weight produces more estrogens and can cause this to, to um, take off. And her own defenses against carcinogens might be weaker as well. So we've been talking a lot about food, but what about environmental concerns, environmental toxins? How do they factor in here? Um, You're exposed to things whether you want to be or not. Um, uh, You're walking down the street. There's automobile exhaust. uh, There may be chemicals in your foods. Um, But but let me say that foods may help you here as well. Really? Um, Researchers at Johns Hopkins University started looking at cruciferous vegetables in particular. And cruciferous vegetables, that's broccoli and cauliflower and kale and collards, uh, Brussels sprouts. Uh, And they get their name because they have a cross-shaped flower, cruciferous. Um, What they do in your body is they stimulate the liver to help you detox. Uh, Specifically, what happens is your liver is this giant uh, kind of a filter. Okay. uh, Things go through the liver uh, that don't belong there like carcinogens that you just inhaled walking down Broadway. Um, and if they go through your blood, the liver recognizes them and tries to get rid of them. And you have what are called phase one and phase two enzymes. These are enzymes that are like policemen. They grab a hold of that criminal and they detoxify it. If you have a lot of broccoli in your diet today, you will have more of these phase two enzymes in particular by tomorrow or the next day. It's, it's that Yes, it's that quick. 24 to 48 hours. Wow. It, it, it greatly increases. That means your liver is more vigilant and is better able to help you detoxify. So um, for people who are exposed to a lot of carcinogens, like smokers and so forth, you can see this as part of the detoxifying uh, process. But obviously, it's better to just quit. 
But there are some exposures that are incidental that you just can't avoid. The cleaning fluid that you're inhaling. Uh, heaven knows what pesticide made its way into the salad bar. Um, when you're at work, you, you have no idea what's in it. Um, if your diet happens to be filled with these foods, you're going to help uh, be able to detoxify. And in your body in balance, I actually have a whole list of the enzyme-inducing foods, and you can just build them into your routine. Man, you know, it never ceases to amaze me, Dr. Barnard, how quickly the body can kind of try to get itself back in working order. You said just 24 to 48 hours and the liver is doing its thing. Well, the body isn't perfect and the healing processes are not perfect, but they're good. And if they weren't, our species would have died out a long time ago. Because think of all the, the carcinogenic substances that you could have even been exposed to even in nature. Mm. There's a forest fire or there, there are heavy metals in rivers and streams and things like that. Your body has to have a way to defend itself. And it has to be relatively quick and efficient. But we, we sort of defeat it because we get seduced by cheese pizza. And a slice of cheese pizza is not a serving of broccoli. And so your liver says, cheese pizza, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, <laughs> I can't deal with this. Um, and, and in fact, um, the cheese pizza is, is worse because it has dairy products, which are often a repository for the chemicals in the cow. Wow. Okay. By the way, let me say that again. I think people may not have, wondered, may, they may not have heard what I'm saying. That when a cow is consuming grass, mm -hmm. things, you know, atmospheric chemicals settle on the grass, pesticides, whatever, the cow ate them. They end up in the fatty tissue of the cow, and th when these things uh, break down, they end up in the milk that the cow secretes. Same thing happens in a woman's body. Um, when she is breastfeeding her first baby, her accumulated toxins, I'm sorry to say, will go to a degree to that baby. Now, breastfeeding is still a good idea. Sure. But um, the, the, the point that I'm making is that milk is often a repository for toxins that were in the body. And it means that you don't want to drink the milk of a cow. And if you're a woman about to breastfeed, you want to make sure that you're following as clean a diet as you can. And your liver will help you to clean out things. I wanted to sneak in a listener question because I think that this one speaks to the heart of today's discussion. And this is from JillyBean468 on Instagram. She writes in, how do you rebalance hormones after breast cancer? Okay, uh, wonderful question. <clears throat> there have been a couple of uh, quite good studies on this. Um, one was called the Women's uh, Intervention Nutrition Study, and the other was the Women's Healthy Eating and Living Study. And in the, the latter study, it was very large, more than 3,000 women. They all had uh, breast cancer. They had all been treated. And then the question was, all right, you're after breast cancer. How are you going to do well? Um, and what they found was that when women would uh, greatly increase their vegetables and their fruit intake, their estrogen levels would be balanced out in a better way. Specifically, estrogen excesses would be muted. They would have reduced levels. That happens relatively quickly, and it follows the mechanisms we were describing earlier. What are you doing? You've got more fiber in your diet because you're eating vegetables and fruits. Um, the fiber escorts the excess estrogens out of the body. Mm -hmm. You're avoiding the fatty foods. That's good, too. You'll still have the estrogen that nature intended for you to have, but it'll help you to eliminate the excess. All right, well, let's take this thing home and maybe try to give listeners and viewers an actionable tip that they can employ in their own life here. What is, if there is one thing, what is the single best thing that a woman can do to lower her risk of developing breast cancer? Well, I think the, the best thing that you can do is to follow a plant-based diet, but have it be at a restaurant that's on the other side of town so that you have to lace up your sneakers and run there. <laughs> and when you're running, you won't have time to drink a martini on the way. 
um, and you'll lose a little bit of weight in the process. So what you will have done is you'll have a healthy diet, you'll have lost weight, you'll have gotten exercise, and you won't have drunk. Outstanding. Okay, so lace up the sneakers, skip the martini, go to the wonderful plant-based restaurant on the other side of town, and you should be good to go. All right. It, our bodies are fragile. You can, you can follow a perfectly healthy diet, and you can still get cancer. Yeah. So this is not a question of blaming anybody for this kind of thing. And the reason I say that is people will feel that. Mm. Um, they'll feel like if I had a, a health diagnosis, it must have been my fault or, or whatever. Um, th- things can happen, and I encourage anybody who's dealing with that, just set aside blame. It doesn't help us at all. Just right. dust yourself off. Forget all that stuff. Right. What we're focusing on now is on what do I do? What do I do to help myself at this point going forward? Um, and uh, we do the best we can. Plant-based diet, healthy lifestyle. There you go. All right. That is excellent advice. Thank you so very much for your time. The new book, Your Body and Balance, available everywhere now, including if you scroll down to the bottom here of the episode notes, you'll find a link right over to Amazon where you can pick up your copy. Dr. Neil Barnard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chuck. I hope that you found as much hope as you did knowledge today. Because based off of everything that we've heard, we have a lot of power, a lot of control over our health. And nothing is ever 100%, but we can certainly lower the risk of cancer through our diet. And not just breast cancer either, many forms of cancer and so many other conditions. So if you're worried about getting it because your mother, your grandmother, your sister, your aunt all had it, well, as Dr. Barnard has said so many times on the exam room, genes are not destiny. And that is a powerful message. So now that we know how big of a role diet can play, the next question naturally is, what do I eat? If you're new to the idea of a plant-based diet, figuring out how to stock the pantry or what to put in the refrigerator, that can be downright overwhelming. So to get you going, no problem. There are more than 60 recipes in Dr. Barnard's book, Your Body in Balance. And also in there is a two-week menu that can get you going on the right foot. And all of the recipes are amazing, by the way. They were developed by Lindsay Nixon. You've heard her on the show recently. You also may know her better as the happy herbivore. I just call her a master recipe strategist because that is what she is. She has cooking and recipes down to a science. Her dishes are amazing. They are super tasty and super healthy. And that is the kind of combo meal that we should all be eating. And if you have any questions, by the way, about today's show or really anything else related to nutrition, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. You can also find me on Facebook. Send me a message there. And the Physicians Committee is at PCRM on Twitter and at Physicians Committee on IG. And Dr. Barnard is at Dr. Neil Barnard on both places as well. Dr. Neil Barnard. And be sure to look for him in a city near you, by the way. Dr. Barnard's book tour, it is rolling right along. You can head over to pcrm.org slash book tour and get a full list of dates. There will be more announced shortly, and hopefully you can catch him in a town near you. 
And also make sure that you subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast and wherever it is that you get your favorite shows so that you can be among the first to get these special episodes with this life-changing and life-saving information. And when you do subscribe, please, please, please also leave a five-star rating because that helps even more people find us, people who ordinarily wouldn't even think to search us out. That five-star rating can help them find us and ultimately then experience a healthier life themselves. And if you're hearing this, odds are that you've made a change to your diet and you know how good that can feel. So let's go ahead and pay that forward. But for now, that's going to do it for us today as we continue the Your Body in Balance series. There is one more show to go, and this one is a special live broadcast that Dr. Neil Barnard and I did in Washington, D.C. We recorded an episode in front of a sold-out crowd, and we covered everything from Your Body in Balance. So many different conditions and how they all tie back to diet and hormones. So it is a really all-encompassing show, and that will be next week. I can't wait for you to hear it. But right now, one more time, my thanks again to Dr. Barnard and to Lee Crosby for joining us, truly inspiring all the way around. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. Mm -hmm.